This is the Visionary Collective podcast, helping visionary, purpose-led entrepreneurs and leaders come together to activate their biggest visions and have the unshakable confidence to build a successful and fulfilling life and business that makes a difference in the world. I'm Lisa Mitchell, and I'll be sharing everything you need to create the foundations and growth to build your legacy. You know you are here to do something bigger as part of the Visionary Collective. Hi, and welcome to this episode. So today I am delighted to have Emily Von Poang, who is the co-founder and CEO of a brilliant company called Oddbox. So Oddbox fights food waste one curvy cucumber at a time. They rescue delicious fruit and veg, which is deemed too big, too ugly, the wrong color, too many from going to waste. Interestingly, it's a supply-led model, which we'll talk about. And so Oddbox partners with growers throughout the UK to box up and deliver this odd fruit and veg in order to fight food waste and ultimately to help the environment too. So I'm delighted to have you on today, Emily. This is a subject I'm really interested in personally, and I feel that people need to know more about. So thank you for coming on. Yeah, thanks so much for having me, Lisa. Brilliant. So I always like to start with this kind of personal story on these episodes because, you know, people like to know you and how did you get to be doing this odd company called Oddbox? Yeah, so as uh, you can hear, I'm originally from France and I grew up in the north of France. My grandparents on both sides were actually potato farmers, so I uh, didn't know about the issue of waste until uh, seven years ago. I moved to the UK over 10 years ago and I was quite uh, amazed by the fact that I could get strawberries in winter. Mm. So uh, strawberries in winter don't really taste that great because they are imported from Spain or North, North Africa. They've been picked on the ripe and they kind of lack that sweetness from ripening on the plant and from you know, uh, actually when you pick your own strawberries, it tastes a lot quite different and a lot better. And so I was a bit frustrated but at that time I didn't really know what to do. And then uh, fast forward uh, five years later, with my husband, we went on holidays to Portugal. And when you go to Southern Europe, you do the shopping at the local market. Uh, So every day we would go to the local market and uh, we would buy these amazingly tasty and juicy tomatoes, Mm. which looked uh, seriously ugly. And that kind of brought uh, uh, me back to thinking about that, that disappointing strawberries experience. And it made me question why I just couldn't get such tasty tomatoes in London. And so when we came back from Portugal, I started doing some research on the produce supply chain. And that's only then that I realized the extent of food waste. And so uh, you probably kind of have heard about the uh, the stats, but uh, food waste is the third largest contributor to greenhouse gases. And it contributes uh, 10% of all greenhouse gas emissions. In fact, we waste close to 40% of all the food we produce. Mm. So considering the fact that we actually don't have enough resources, enough land to grow all the food that we need to feed the population, then it's a huge scandal that we're wasting so much of the food that we grow. Mm, Absolutely. So this was 2016, right, when you had this kind of revelation about food waste and and I, I was loving reading some of your story online about, you know, that you you and you set this up with your husband, correct? Yeah. Okay. And yes, correct. And you were doing it around your full time jobs initially and delivering boxes to neighbors and it's kind of escalated and grown from there. So what's that been like, that journey? 
Yes, yeah, so it's been amazing. So as you as you mentioned at the start, we knew about the uh, so it started with kind of we need to do something around the issue of food waste. We didn't necessarily have kind of a big vision for uh, what Outbox would be. So it was very much there's a big issue. We saw uh, two startups in the US what started something similar to Outbox. So that's how kind of we got the inspiration okay. for the mm-hmm. model, and and then uh, realized that nothing like that existed in the UK and thought maybe it's an opportunity for us uh, to do something about mm. it. And so when we started, we started with um, uh, suppliers uh, who were both growers and wholesalers at the uh, New Covenant Garden Market. So, so they had the wholesale stall at the New Covenant Garden Market. We would go there and get produce which either were out of specs or uh, which uh, were, were surplus. And then we would pack these. And uh, uh, as you mentioned, initially, it was kind of, uh, 20 customers. Uh, so we delivered a few leaflets uh, around our area. Uh, then uh, 10 of them were our friends uh, living locally. And that's kind of how we started uh, just delivering, doing the packing and deliveries ourselves. And that kind of uh, grew uh, organically from there. So uh, it was very much kind of a very locally, so we live in South London. So we were delivering within a kilometer around from where we were living. And then we started doing local events and markets to uh, uh, show what uh, what the box was about, but also to kind of uh, tell people about why we were doing it and show that there was nothing wrong with the produce because that was the biggest challenge at the start. Uh, some people assumed that. Uh, uh, maybe we were getting the produce from the supermarket skips, uh, <laughs> while for us it was showing that, uh, <laughs> yeah, that that it was still perfectly good quality, that there was nothing wrong in terms of the eating, eating quality of the produce, and that... Uh, it just didn't necessarily look perfect. Yeah. And I, and I was thinking, I was saying to you when we were chatting on email that, you know, my sister lives in Spain, has lived there for a very long time. And I always had that experience in Spain of like, and actually it's changed a lot now. It's become more like the UK where she lives, but it used to be that you could only get the stuff in season. And, you know, you I'd taste a tomato yeah. or some fruit out there and be like, wow, why does that taste so incredible? And tomatoes here taste watery and like don't have that depth of flavor, yeah. right? Yeah, and and that was the same when I uh, when I grew up in the north of France. There's a lot more loose produce, and it's still it's still the case more than in the UK. And there were a lot of produce which were only available in season. And we had uh, we were living in the countryside, so we had a big garden. So we were growing our own produce. We were growing berries, and so uh, there's that excitement of uh, there's a month yes. when you can enjoy uh, the, the berries yes. and you make kind of the most of it. But they, they really taste amazing at that time. And then uh, you move on to kind of uh, apples and pears and uh, and things which are kind of uh, in season in the autumn. So there's also an understanding of the season that comes with growing your own produce Mm. that you don't necessarily get if you only shop at the supermarket. So for us, uh, from the start, our idea with Outbox is that we're not from the produce industry, so we learned a lot as well since setting up Outbox, and it's always been 
it's so, it's so interesting what we learn. It's so interesting kind of, uh, hearing the challenges that growers have mm. uh, that from the start, we've had a letter in the box uh, which kind of, uh, talks a bit about these stories. Uh, we've, on our blog, we talk a lot about uh, what we call the grower stories because that's what people want to hear. People want to... Uh, at the end, people buy from people, yes. and they want to kind of feel that they support uh, the uh, the growing community. Absolutely, and it feels like I don't know if you feel like the attitudes have changed in the time that you've had the business because it feels to me like people are becoming more conscious of shopping locally, eating locally, you know, not eating, you know, eating natural food. The whole vegan movement—it feels like things have shifted. Is that right? Was that your experience? Yeah, definitely it's shifted. And um, in some ways, COVID was beneficial for that mm. in a sense that at the start of the pandemic, there was shortages. Yeah. That made people realize that we were really lucky to have everything available all the time and that it had only been, kind of, it's, it's not been that long that that's been the case. So uh, our parents would remember that they couldn't get everything all the time, that it was a lot more seasonal. Over the past 20, 30 years, we've forgotten about that. But uh, it's only been 20, 30 years that that it's like that. So it made people realize that uh, we were quite reliant in terms of the food that we eat on food industry, on supply chain. And that meant that there was a reduction in uh, food waste in people's homes during COVID. Okay, okay. Yes, very interesting. So it's almost like um, a sense check or, do you know what I mean? A kind of like recalibration of what we should be eating and what comes locally and what gets flown in and all of those things. So when you were delivering, you know, you're doing your little business and going to markets and testing the water and seeing if people liked having odd fruit and did you envisage it becoming your full-time jobs? Not, not really. At the start, um, we were doing that. So we were going to the market uh, on Saturday early morning, packing the boxes and then delivering directly. Then we shifted to uh, actually getting the produce delivered to a small warehouse on Friday, packing on Friday uh, evening. And then we, would, we moved to delivering overnight. Mm-hmm because it kind of uh, made more sense that we were packing in the evening. Uh, there was not enough time to pack on Saturday morning, so that's why we shifted to packing on Friday evening. And then it made more logistical sense to then deliver directly, and that meant uh, there was a longer delivery window. But also, from an environmental point of view, yeah, it's uh, there's less cars on the road at night, so it also made sense because then uh, our drivers could uh, do the deliveries faster, mm-hmm. and that kind of that. So uh, we were still uh, in South London at that time for the, for for the first one and a half years. Uh, we were only delivering in South London, and we had a growing waiting list of people who had heard about Outbox through either through uh, searching uh, on the net or through some press articles where we had been featured. And so we had that growing waiting list of people who wanted to get an outbox. 
but we just didn't have the uh, the capacity to deliver to them yeah. uh, because for us uh, we need to build density to make it work financially and that's only at that point that then we started speaking to other entrepreneurs who said oh you've got quite a big customer base you've got the opportunity to potentially raise some investment mm. and that's uh, when we realized that actually it's not just a small thing that we are doing on the side at the weekend there's uh, there's the opportunity to kind of make it a proper uh, business yeah. and to uh, get investment to really scale it up and that's that's what was needed because uh, it's uh, so produce is low margin and in order to kind of scale it a lot faster, we needed some injection of yes, cash. Yes, absolutely. So I love what you're saying because I love hearing founder stories, you know, because what I take from your story is that you you just had a feeling about it, right? It, it sort of went back to your roots. It resonated with something that you had from your childhood, actually. But then it kind of you dipping your toe in the water, just following, I, I describe it as like following the breadcrumbs sometimes. It's like, oh, this is interesting. I wonder what's going on. You do a little bit of research and then you start testing out and feeling into kind of things that are going on and if there's a market and you know and then somebody says well actually you could get investment you're like oh okay this is like an actual thing you know whereas I think sometimes as human beings we like to have all the answers right but if you're doing something new and odd which I love your I, I think you could talk about a brilliantly odd culture don't you in the in the business which I love so you know if you're doing something odd and out there and different then you you have to feel your way, right? Because it doesn't exist. You can't go, oh, they're doing exactly the same. So you feel your way with it, right? From an instinct. Yeah, and that's what that's why that's where kind of uh, did we have kind of a big vision for where we would be uh, um, five or ten years after we started? Not really. We kind of then set that vision a bit later with the team and uh, but it was uh, two years after we had started because at the start uh, we just needed to kind of uh, we yeah there might be some people who uh, kind of have a big vision and then uh, go after that but for us it was more uh, there's there's a problem uh, there seems to be kind of a potential solution is that are there enough people who believe mm. uh, that uh, that could work who actually would be willing to buy uh, produce which don't necessarily look perfect and our model slightly changed as well in a sense that uh, we so initially we started working with wholesalers but from the very start we were quite clear that uh, actually we wanted to go to growers directly the uh, the challenge that we had at the start is that because our volume was so small when i called growers First of all, I didn't understand anything about the uh, produce industry. I didn't speak the right language. <laughs> just, just a few uh, minor and, uh, kind uh, of yeah. issues. <laughs> yeah, they didn't really take me seriously, and also for them, it was it wasn't very interesting to kind of for uh, to um, sell me a few boxes and. I also thought that uh, actually they would be able to uh, send me the boxes directly to our flat. What I realized is that growers grow the produce and then the people who want to buy the produce take care of the logistics. Oh, okay. And what that meant is that because growers are specialized in one kind of category, very few growers will grow a huge range of produce. And so there's regions which are good for root veg, there's regions which are better for fruits. Um, so uh, it it at the start, 
uh, it wasn't uh, feasible to get the produce from uh, 10, 20, 30 different growers yeah. uh, spread uh, across the UK. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. And, and so, uh, but... Uh, relatively quickly, we started to kind of, um, get a few uh, growers on board. And then as we kind of scaled, then that became easier. And uh, what we realized as well, so initially we were focusing on uh, on only kind of, uh, wonky. So cosmetic imperfections, uh, too big, too small. Quite often it's not that wonky, it's just more uh, too big, too small, small skin markings. But what we realized is that uh, there's an equally big issue with surplus. Yes. So crop flushes. Um, and that's where we uh, also evolved our model to say we're not only about uh, wonky, we're about rescuing produce which are at risk of going to waste. Yes. And so then that when we defined our model to be we're, uh, so we're supply-led, which is unlike anybody in the industry. So that's the real specificity of Outbox is that nobody grows for us. So yeah. uh, we we asked all our growers, all the growers we work with, to sign uh, an agreement that they will never grow for, for us. So we are, mm. we, we will never, we are and will never be their main uh, customer uh, because they can't be relying on us. Their main customer will typically be a retailer yeah. or wholesaler or kind of, uh, uh, a few different retailers and wholesalers. And we're there as kind of uh, that outlet for anything which uh, is uh, out of specs or which is surplus. Yes. And that's kind of the real specificity of our model. And that's also kind of a real challenge in a way that uh, we never know yeah. what's going to be available. Yes. Yes, isn't it interesting? And, you know, I, 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 one of the things I've really noticed looking at your business is that I love the branding. I'm originally from a marketing background before I became a coach. So I worked in marketing for about 10 years. And so I, I love this concept that you talk about, about rescuing fruit and veg. It kind of has a very emotional kind of feel to it rather than, you know, just, oh, here's some surplus, you know, go and buy it. I think your branding and your, the way you talk about it is really engaging to the customer, right? Yeah, and and for us, it's it's just the way we're we're thinking about it, and that's that's why uh, from the, kind of uh, at the start we uh, we uh, positioned ourselves as cheaper than uh, the supermarket, cheaper than other similar services, and then we thought actually it's not the right approach mm. because why should this produce have a lower value than what are called as the perfect looking produce. First of all, a lot of the produce that are in an outbox are perfect looking. There's, there's just too many of them. Yeah. So there's a color flush, but they are, it's exactly the same quality. And even if they are out of specs or too big, too small, there's actually nothing wrong with them. So creating that dichotomy of there's the good looking ones and then there's the less good looking ones means that there's a perception that it's lower quality. Yeah. And for, for us, it's always been kind of, we need to fight that per perception. Mm. So we need to change that kind of mindset that there's actually nothing wrong with the produce. And that's where a lot of supermarkets have wonky ranges. We don't agree with that concept of having two ranges. What needs to happen is that all of the different produce needs to be together. Yeah. So it's interesting that you've built a business that is obviously economically profitable and also has this very strong campaigning edge to it, right? 
So talk to me a little bit about that. How do you balance off this kind of like campaigning and profit and people? I know all of those pieces are important to you, aren't they? Yeah. So so right now we're uh, we're not uh, profitable because we've raised investment, so we are still kind of uh, growing. But yes, we're we're a business which uh, eventually needs to be uh, financially viable, and that's uh, for us sustainability is also financial sustainability. Yeah. Okay. And, uh, uh, we set it up as a business very purposefully. So I've worked in the charity sector in the past, and but my background is in finance, and I strongly believe that uh, charging for uh, a service means it makes it more valuable, and there's kind of a benefit in charging uh, for for something, uh, because then uh, people kind of really consider the, uh, whether it has value uh, to them. And, but what we've done from the start is our purpose is embedded within our business model. Mm. So in some ways, the more boxes we sell, the bigger our impact. Right. And that's, for me, one of the kind of key things about an impact business. It can't be uh, that the uh, impact is a side part of the business. Yeah. So it needs to be core to the business. Otherwise, then it makes it challenging to uh, to balance both. Yeah. So there's still a lot of times when we have to kind of made trade-offs and compromises in terms of how we're operating. So for example, we, we uh, from the start, we've been delivering with diesel vans, but we've tried to manage that by delivering overnight. And uh, we deliver only once a week to each area. So we build kind of a lot of density. So minimizing of, um, the movement of, uh, of the vans. But we're all, we're in the process of tra- transitioning to uh, electric vehicles. We would have loved uh, to do it earlier, but it wasn't financially viable mm. for us uh, to move to uh, EVs uh, a few years ago. Now, uh, the cost of EVs is going down, so that's something that uh, that we're doing. So there's there's still going to be uh, things like that that uh, we need to balance in terms of what's financially possible and what's the right thing to do. Yeah. But in terms of our core impact, it's embedded within, within our business model. Yeah, I love that. So so the purpose is embedded in the business model with, with all the logistics and trade-offs and everything that we're always, you know, always part of running a business, right? But I love that because, you know, as you say, with a lot of big organizations that I've worked with in the past, you know, you have a lovely purpose statement that's stuck up on a wall somewhere, but whether it runs through everything, whether decisions are really based around that is another issue, right? So I love the fact that those pieces are so embedded for you and that that's, that's a big part of your decision making, you know, and where you move to, even if you can't make it perfect right now. Yeah, that's what and for and for us, we're trying to kind of uh, make the right the right decisions, but decisions which also make uh, financial sense. And for example, one of the things that we did uh, from the very start is so we've always had a bit of surplus uh, because even though we're a subscription based business, then we'll have people cancel slightly last minute when we would have ordered. Also because we order kind of produce which don't necessarily kind of are perfectly sized, then sometimes we end up with massive carrots or tiny carrots, yeah. and that means we need to order a bit more just to make sure that we we portion we put the right portions in the boxes, and so. 
from the very start, uh, we've uh, we've donated the uh, the surplus that we have. So we've been working with City Harvest, uh, with the Felix Foundation, with Fair Share, and uh, and even when we were tiny, we were uh, donating the produce that we had surplus uh, to uh, uh, the uh, so the community fridges, mm. and uh, and that's. Both kind of the right thing to do because these produce uh, they are still perfectly good quality. It's just surplus that uh, we don't need, but it also makes uh, financial sense because the alternative is for us to pay a uh, food waste yes. collector to collect these produce. Yes. And so, uh, so what what we say is that uh, actually it's a partnership that we have because it's beneficial for them in a sense that they get uh, fresh produce from us that they can redistribute to food banks and soup kitchen. But it's also beneficial for us in a sense that it's uh, it's a cost savings mm. that. Uh, uh, that we're making, or it's cause that we don't have to incur. Yeah, one of the phrases that I that I saw when I was like looking around the website earlier was brilliantly unusual thinking. That's part of your culture, yes. right? So, and and I, you know, yeah. I, I always say that as entrepreneurs and visionaries, the trick is that you're looking for different ways of doing things, right? You're not constrained by the status quo or you know, the, the way things are done. It's almost like we want to break the way things are done. We want to find those unusual ways of working, ways of thinking. How do you keep that agility and that that mindset in the business as you've grown? You know, and it's not just a small team. I, I think I read you had 81 people in the business. Is that right? Yes, we've, we've got our hard. So how do you keep that agility and that innovation and that challenging thinking? How do you keep that? So I think there's a part which is about uh, how we uh, recruit people. And so it comes from kind of uh, recruiting people who have that mindset. So everybody who uh, joins Outbox obviously is uh, very passionate about uh, the challenge about tackling food waste. And it's kind of, uh, so it's getting the right people. It's, um, we work quite cross-functionally as well. So we make sure that uh, we've got people with different expertise thinking about uh, the same mm. problem in quite different ways. And sometimes kind of the best ideas come from people who, who are not necessarily experts in that specific area. In some ways, that's, that's how we kind of uh, were able to think about uh, setting up Outbox and doing things differently. Because we didn't really, we didn't almost understand anything about the produce industry. So we came with kind of a, no preconceived idea of how things needed to be done. And we kind of, uh, that made us able to challenge a lot of uh, the way things are done. And so, uh, yes, I think it's kind of uh, really, and, and because everybody uh, wants to do more, it's also kind of uh, continuously thinking about uh, how do we evolve uh, the outbox model? What else can we do? We get, uh, we've got access to a lot of produce because we work with kind of, uh, with over 70 different suppliers, but that's, that's like over 300 uh, farms. Mm. And what else can we do with the produce? So there's a continuous kind of keenness from the team to think of what else can we do to tackle the issue of, uh, of food waste. And mm -hmm. I think it's also kind of uh, staying close to our customers and our community and understanding how uh, are there other ways to solve uh, some of their challenges. Mm. So when you're recruiting people, you're asking questions about food waste, you know, because somebody might just join your business because it's a good opportunity, right? And it happens to be up the road from their house or something rather than they feel passionate about the subject. But you actively recruit for that. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, we uh, we actively, uh, so we don't necessarily uh, kind of recruit people who are hard advocates, but uh, 
if somebody says oh, I'm interested in Oddbox because it's a fast-growing business and they never mention sustainability or food waste, okay. then that's kind of a bit of a red flag for yes. us. Of uh, we're not only about growth. We're about purpose. We're about impact. Mm. So again, it comes back to that thing about having purpose run through the organisation, so that you know when you recruit people, they're there for the purpose, you know, and they have the skills, obviously, but they're there for the purpose yep. first. Yeah, yeah, and and uh, so I think it's a balance because uh, it can't be about the purpose only. Mm -hmm. So uh, we so we want to make sure that people also are uh, will have the right skill and will will understand that uh, we we also need to be financially viable. So it, it's a uh, it's a bit of a balance, but everyone kind of very purpose driven means that it also keeps us accountable, mm -hmm. uh, making sure that uh, we stay true to. Uh, Right. I love it. Yeah. So if you start to veer off, people will call you on it, basically, you know? Yes. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, yeah. So quite often, quite quite often, there will be some questions on uh, should we really do that? Is that the right thing to do? Which uh, which we encourage, which we want to give here, and um, yes, our team uh, will kind of, uh, make sure that we're very clear on why we do everything we do. Yes. So there is a sense of. Um... Uh, I, I talk about co-creation, you know, of that kind of like allowing voices, having people co-create with you, not being like, you know, with I'm the CEO and founder, and, you know, here's my way. It's it's more kind of actually allowing those ideas to bubble up, to play with what people are saying, to see whether there's, you know, whether it's challenging, are you making the right decision? Are you not? You know, it's kind of holding the whole thing with integrity, isn't it? Yeah, and uh, yeah, it's uh, it's it's kind of uh, it's always uh, it's not necessarily easy to, uh, but uh, yes, we want to encourage that kind of uh, collaboration, that collaborative approach, and one of our values is around being inclusive. Mm. So, kind of making sure that all voices are heard. Yeah, yeah. So, what's been the biggest challenge, Emily, so far? The biggest challenges in kind of because you've grown, you've grown reasonably fast, right? In terms of scale, and you know, having now, you know, seventy suppliers and the whole learning all about that from not coming from that background. What's been the biggest challenges along the way? Do you think? So, as I mentioned, the biggest challenge at the start was building that supply base and convincing growers to work with us. Uh, COVID has been kind of, uh, a big challenge uh, in a sense that uh, the, the demand for uh, Outbox uh, was grew exponentially because uh, at the end we deliver fruit and veg directly to people's homes. So that was yeah. exactly what people wanted uh, during COVID. So having to deal with kind of, uh, that huge demand mm. uh, whilst uh, what, what we wanted to make sure is that uh, we didn't compromise on uh, people's uh, on the customer experience that uh, are the quality of what we do didn't uh, was uh, at the same level for uh, every customer so we closed our website down for uh, several weeks and reopened slowly to uh, more customers to uh, make sure that actually we were balancing uh, how we were doing things and having the right operational setups to manage that additional demand. Since the lockdown release, it's been kind of another challenge in that we've scaled really quickly, but uh, in terms of demand, we haven't really scaled 
all of our processes. Mm. So we've got a lot of catch-up to do in terms of uh, some of our processes and tech. So there's still a lot of processes that are run on Excel spreadsheets, which isn't really ideal. And um, there's... Uh, with the uh, uh, with kind of now uh, the um, uh, the, um, the the cost of living crisis, uh, it's managing kind of, uh, the impact of consumer confidence. There's been kind of a lot of cost pressures as well in terms of uh, the uh, the fuel, the electricity, yes. um, the cost of the produce, uh, the labor. So uh, there's there's kind of yeah there's a, a lot of challenges that every business experience right yes, now yes yes yeah but I you know when I when I'm hearing you talk about it though I can it feels like it's a continually evolving moving business you know it's still very much in the growth phase isn't it and you know I know you're expanding are you in Europe now are you just UK or are you in you no no we're we're only the UK okay, okay. yeah we cover close to seventy percent of the UK. Okay. Wow, so that's quite an achievement in that in that sort of length of time that you've been going. When you add in all the other challenges that many businesses have had for the last few years, so what what keeps your passion alive, Emily? What keeps you going when it gets challenging, or you know, COVID hits, or you know, all of those things that happen? What keeps you motivated and inspired about it? So, uh, so when things are challenging, then I'm a kind of there's three things which keep me motivated and it's all around uh, around people. So it's when I'm with the team, uh, we've got uh, it's we've got passionate, really brilliant people uh, who work at Outbox. Uh, I've got a responsibility uh, in some ways uh, to them and um, and uh, yeah, making sure that uh, um, they can they can grow within Outbox, they can deliver their best work. So that's and working with uh, talented people, that's what keeps me kind of motivated. Mm. Then um, when uh, I feel a bit down, I'll, I'll read kind of, uh, customer feedback. And that's, again, kind of, um, uh, reading what people say about Outbox in terms of how it's changed their, uh, their relationship with food, mm. what they've learned, um, uh, how, how excited they feel about receiving their hot box. There are some people who stay over up overnight oh, no, uh, when their box arrives just to make sure that, uh, that it doesn't get stolen. Oh, so, uh, yes, it's kind of uh, <laughs> feel, feeling that uh, kind of, uh, reading or hearing uh, how much uh, love people have for uh, for what we do and uh, for the mission and, and kind of, uh, for uh, what we set up that keeps me really motivated and also whenever I can kind of speak to our growers mm. and hear how we are, how we are helping them and so uh, just a recent example there was some there's one of the growers that we've been working with uh, from the very very start who uh, grew some uh, apples uh, especially especially for the jubilee so uh, they were called uh, the lilibets oh. um, uh, one of the big one of the big retailers asked them to kind of, uh, grow, uh, create and grow this specific variety of apples. And then they decided that um, there, was, there was not going to be enough, enough demand for uh, these apples. So uh, the grower has ended up with uh, all these apples that is not able to sell. Wow. And so we've been putting a lot of these apples in our boxes. And so that's kind mm. of this kind of stories 
which uh, which really keep me uh, motivated. That grower is um, is trying to find an outlet for these apples, and uh, obviously he'll be able to sell uh, some of them potentially for the wholesale market or for juicing. But uh, with our community, we're able to provide kind of also a really strong outlet um, and. Uh, what uh, what we are doing as well is uh, we are also trying to make sure that uh, um, we pay a fair price for these apples. While if he sends them for uh, for juicing or processing or for animal feed, he's going to sell them at right. a loss. You know, and it's a, I, I I love the kind of like the the different impacts that you're talking about. You know, on your people internally, on your customers, on the growers. You know, because I I hold this belief that business can be a force for change and a force for good in the world, right? And so when you read those stories and think, wow, that that grower could have gone under, right? Without you know, when if you're sitting on a huge surplus, and that could you're not just affecting the grower and their business, you're affecting their family and their livelihood, and you know, generations of farming and all of those things, but you're also having an impact on how we consume food and how we view food and how we view sustainability. So, you know, it's quite, it probably feels normal to you, (laughs) but as I listen to it, I'm like, wow, what an awesome business that is to be able to see the impact on all those different levels. I know you're a B Corp organization, aren't you? Just tell us a little bit about what that means and why that's important to you. Yes, so uh, there's now a thousand B Corps uh, in the UK. That's a growing movement. And a B Corp is an organization who uh, considers equally people, planet, and profit. Mm. So it's kind of fun. Uh, and so to become a B Corp, we had to go through uh, a process where uh, we had to fill a huge questionnaire, uh, which is then uh, validated and audited by the B Corp, because uh, they are called B Lab, so the B Lab um, organization. So, yeah, it's quite a lengthy uh, process uh, to be able to be B Corp certified. It requires us to change our governance document to uh, confirm that uh, we are not going to do what we do for the sole purpose of shareholders, but also consider um, the people and the planet. Mm. Uh, and we've had to change some of our processes as well. The, uh, however, what's really different from kind of other certification is that uh, to remain a big up, we need to recertify every three years right. and we need to commit to improving on our score oh. uh, every time we recertify. Amazing. Yeah. And so it's so, so it's a continuous process. It's not just a one-off of uh, here we are, we are a big up, and that will be there forever. It's kind of a continuous review of how we're operating, and uh, and it covers. Uh, it's quite broad. It's not only about sustainability, but it's also about uh, diversity. It's about uh, how we treat uh, uh, the people. It's about tip development. It's about uh, supply chain. It's about uh, how we work with the community. Uh, so yeah, it's it's quite broad in terms of what it looks mm. like. So that's also keeping you real, right? Because <laughs> not only do you, you can't just maintain yes. your score, you yeah. have to improve it. So you're, it puts you in this process of continual improvement. So I love how the, you have these things in the business that means you can't, you're not able to let go of some principles. You can't just go for profit because A, your team will call you on it probably. And also, you know that you yes. can't keep your B Corp either if you do that. So I, I I love that you have these measures in place that kind of keep you honest, if you like, you know, 
and keep you on track because there's so many competing demands, like you say, of, you know, managing the investors and managing profit, but also building on the community and moving things forward. You're juggling a lot of these, in, in some ways, competing forces, right? Yeah, yeah, and, and uh, that's what it's. Uh, uh, I, I thought uh, potentially things would get uh, easier as we uh, we grew, but uh, what I realized is that uh, there's different challenges at uh, the different kind of, uh, times of uh, of growing an organization. Of and at the start, it was uh, we were doing everything, so uh, it was quite involved in terms of uh, the. Uh, so yeah, it was twenty four seven. We couldn't take uh, holidays. Now uh, we've got you know, a team uh, who's managing all the operations, but there's uh, different types of challenges. Yes, but that that keeps it interesting. Yes, absolutely. So if somebody's listening to this and thinking, "Gosh, that's really inspiring that you've taken something and kind of created a business from nothing, right? Just an instinct, an idea, you know, a passion behind something." What would be your kind of top tips for them? What what would you say if I'm sitting here with a burning kind of like, "God, I'd love to do that, but you know, I'm in my full-time job and I've got my mortgage to pay and I've got all these things going on." What would be your tips to kind of go for it and start something? So I, I would say, uh, we started small, we started locally. So, uh, it's possible to uh, start with a small idea and, uh, and actually uh, starting, uh, getting feedback is what made us refine, uh, what mm-hmm. Outbox was. There were, uh, we didn't have, we were not even called Outbox when we started. We, we had a different name, then realized that the other name was trademark, so I had to change our name. Outbox is uh, a much better name. Our uh, previous name was uh, Tasty Misfits, so it was a change uh, for, for yeah. good. But uh, yeah, we can, uh, we, uh, at the start, we focused on, uh, trying something which wasn't perfect, but really getting feedback. And a lot of it was constructive feedback. So mm. things not working that we had to refine, uh, but that that was good. Uh, what helped us was to tell all our friends uh, that we were doing that. So uh, they also kept us accountable in a sense that we didn't want to then the next week be able to tell them, oh, no, finally, we've changed our mind. Yeah. We are not doing it. So, uh, so that's a good way to kind of, kind of really uh, talking about it, putting it, putting it out in the world uh, is a good way to kind of start and uh, and really get some traction. And uh, yeah, I would say kind of, uh, as much uh, try to um, build the purpose into the model yes. uh, and not have that, uh, thinking that the purpose will come later or, the, or it's it's great when an uh, organization uh, donate a portion of their profit but it's even better when actually the, uh, the impact is embedded within the business yes model. amazing so starting just you know I, I sometimes say to people you just have to start don't you wherever you start you just follow it and see what happens without I say as human beings sometimes we want all the pieces lined up don't we and to know what this thing looks like in the future but what I'm hearing from you is you just couldn't know that is you know and you've adapted and moved and shifted the model as we as you've developed it and then I love your other point which is you know embed purpose yeah. in you know yeah we couldn't for example the uh, overnight deliveries we couldn't have planned it because nobody was really doing overnight deliveries it just happened that it kind of made sense 
for us to do that and re- we realize that it works. So uh, it's difficult to be visionary in in a vacuum or just on paper. Mm-hmm. So there are some things which are kind of quite innovative in the way we do things, which are quite different from anybody else. But we just we just just happened because it kind of worked for yes. us. Yes. So you couldn't predict all those pieces. It's almost like that marrying of an idea with the practical realities and then allowing it to evolve in that way. Amazing. Well, I'm sure listening to this, that you've inspired people to really think about food waste. And, you know, I I think, you know, for me, I always feel bad if food goes off in the the fridge, you know, because it just feels so wasteful. And to find ways of tackling that. And, you know, as, as I was saying to you before, part of my thing has been buying more locally and going shopping more locally. And I work a lot from home as well as traveling into London. So I can, you know, I can organize that in my lifestyle. And I feel like people are moving in that direction. So tell us if people want to get involved in Oddbox, what's the best way of people getting involved? So there's a couple of ways. So to your challenge, Lisa, we always end up with kind of things in our fridge that we don't necessarily know what to do with or a big cabbage that we don't really feel like cooking. So we've we've just launched a bit of kind of odd and funny PR campaign where we've created a dating app for lonely veg. So it's called Soil Mates. So you can have a look at our website and actually you can choose the the lonely veg that you in your fridge and pair it with another veg and it will uh, uh, give you ideas of recipes. So we thought that's a fun take on uh, on how to deal with uh, things which are left in your fridge. Um, If you want to uh, subscribe to Outbox, so you can do that on our website, outbox.co.uk. And uh, we're currently uh, crowdfunding on Cedars, so that's another way of kind of, uh, supporting our mission. If uh, for uh, anyone who does a small uh, small investment, so the, uh, it starts uh, kind of, we take uh, anything from ten pounds, so uh, very small investments, and we've had uh, actually uh, over two thousand people uh, who joined our crowdfunding campaign, uh, including kind of, uh, a lot of our existing customers. Amazing, because I think sometimes when we we sit in our lives, we want to sort of take action and make a difference. We don't know how, right? So this is a really concrete way that people can take action and do something about climate change and have fun with it. You know, you know, and it impacts on our families, but it also impacts yeah. on the bigger piece too. So it's been an absolute pleasure to chat to you today, Emily. And I, I'm sure that you have inspired people and, you know, hopefully people will check you out and, you know, think about how they can make a difference, whether that's joining you from a crowdfunding perspective or ordering a box. I have my first delivery coming tonight. So I'm excited to see what's in my box and check out the soil mates to see what I do with it. <laughs> so thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate your time today. And we'll put all the details for Emily in the show notes so that you can check those out and you can go and join the Oddbox revolution. Thank you so much. Yeah, thanks a lot for having me, Lisa. It's been a, a pleasure uh, uh, chatting with you. And uh, yeah, hopefully uh, I've inspired other people uh, to uh, to do what we've done, which is kind of uh, just uh, uh, taking that small step. And, uh, and uh, yeah, it's all about uh, what we can do and every small step uh, really adds up. Yeah. Amazing. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the Visionary Collective podcast with myself, Lisa Mitchell. If you're a visionary founder or leader and want to transform your business, please do get in touch at lisa at lisamitchell.co.uk. 